Well, friends, it's, uh, gosh, it's just, it's good to see your faces. It's good to be in the same room with, with some of us gathered here today. I, I can't tell you over the past uh, three months now, three. sometimes it feels like a year and yeah, sometimes it, it feels like a day. Uh, lost, losing track of time, but but over the past three months now, so often, maybe your heart has been in the same place mine has, and I think to myself, man, I just wish life would go back to the way it was in February. Like, it'd be so much easier. Life was so much easier back in February. I knew what I was doing each day. I knew how to do my job well. I knew what to expect. I didn't have to think twice about making an extra trip to the grocery store, or how many people that I was around, or, or when to go out to eat. Life was so much easier back then. And so for many of us this morning, as, as we begin to gather on our campus and all of our different worship communities, uh, many of us have this sense of returning to something familiar. But as we look around, uh, we'll notice that things are familiar yet not exactly the same. So we're in this worship space that many of us are familiar with, and yet it's set up quite differently. It feels a little more like an airplane right now than it does <laughs> like our comfy, cozy, brunch and coffee, Pecan Street Mission worship community. We may look around and see some faces that we recognize and know, but, you know, we also look around the room and and recognize there's some faces we're not able to see right now because so many of our congregation continue to worship with us online right now. You know, things are the same, but not as they once were. And that got me thinking this week about nostalgia, or our tendency to, to look back and say, man, if we could just go back to the good old days, when things are so much easier back in January and February, <laughs> if we could just go back. And, and it got me thinking about the, the danger with nostalgia in, in the rose-colored glasses that we often wear, and the difficulty we may have in recognizing that the good old days may not be all that we once see them to be. A friend of mine a, a couple weeks ago from college posted a few thoughts of hers around mental health on Facebook that have really struck me and, and been sitting with me. And, and she said, you know, uh, let's, yes, quarantine and lockdown pose their own very significant mental health challenges. That is not to be discounted. But, she says, can we please stop pretending that our former world of long work hours and stressful commutes and hectic crowds and shopping centers and mass consumerism and air pollution and 24-7 everything was a mental health utopia. In other words, be careful with nostalgia. Be careful in looking back and wishing for the good old days. For things not as they were, but as they shall be. Now the Israelites, in the story we're going to read this morning, find themselves in a, in a really similar situation. And uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's one of my favorite Old Testament theologians, in reflecting on this story that Cassie's about to read for us, He says, you know, it is striking how our present anxiety has the capability to distort our memory of the recent past. It's striking how present anxiety has the ability to distort our memory of the recent past. Yeah, the Israelites certainly have this memory issue. Uh, Last week we read that they weren't uh, but a couple of days out into the wilderness and they were already thirsty and already complaining and wanting to turn back. And today we discover that they're a little further into the journey, but not much, just 45 days into the journey. And they're still struggling. They're still struggling, only now not with thirst, but with hunger. And so I'm going to be reading from Exodus in the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 15. Listen now to what the The author tells us about this time of wilderness. 
The whole congregation of the Israelites sat out from Elam. Now, Elam, if you remember, at the end of last week is where they landed. It's this utopian place, this place with palm trees and many springs. And so they have left there, and uh, they've come out from Elam, and, e and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, just 45 days into the journey. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness just to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And in that way I will test them or challenge them to see whether they will follow my instruction or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they have brought in, it will be twice as much as they gathered in the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we? that you complained against us. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard your complaining that you uttered against the Lord, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord. For he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they turned and they looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread when you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And in the evening, quail came and, and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was this layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew was lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was this fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is God's holy word for us today. Thanks be to God. So, so when I listen to that story, I recognize that the Israelites, everything about their life has changed, right? They were in Israel, they lived a particular, I mean, in Egypt, they lived a particular life, and now they're out in this wilderness, everything has changed. Even their family dynamics have changed. No longer are, are the women going to serve as handmaidens and the men going to the, to the fields to work hard, but families are working together. 
They work just as hard, but it is different now uh, that they no longer have the oppression and the taskmaster's whips and the and the degrading uh, comments uh, issued at them as they work. Their food is even different. Where before in Egypt, they were depending upon the food to the most part of what the taskmaster might provide them to eat in any given day. Now it falls upon them to find their food and to prepare it and to, to sustain their life by their own hand. It reminds me of a stressed out system. Now, uh, when I took family systems, I learned that there's this rubber band kind of dynamic. And when, when families or any system actually gets stressed out, it's like stretching a rubber band out. And when you let that rubber band go, it wants to seek the what it used to be. And that's exactly where the Israel arts are where first they were thirsty and now they're hungry, they're remembering these flesh pots that the, Israel, that the Egyptians uh, provided for them. Now, let me tell you, I did some looking into this. This was like a cauldron of boil, mostly boiling water with leftover pieces of meat that uh, were not the best part of meat that are given to them. So the best parts of the meat were given to the Egyptians. The, the households of the Egyptians and to the kings and, and to Pharaoh and his household. So what they get is the leftovers, and they can't even remember that. What they're given for bread is Pharaoh's bread. And now they're in the wilderness, and what they are given is God's bread. They don't, they don't recognize it. They don't see what it is. They say, what is it? They've never seen this stuff before. But they see with new eyes, and God provides this bread for them. And what they're, uh, when they're in Egypt, they're dependent upon somebody else providing everything they eat. And yet, when they look out onto the, the uh, ground with this dewy-like substance that becomes manna, they ask, what is it? They ask, what is it to become to us? They have to find a new way of seeing in the wilderness, but God does not reprimand them. God does not pick and choose who gets the cauldron of flesh pots that day. God gives equal amounts of manna, equal amounts of quail to all God's people. God is absolutely abundant. Kind of reminds me of the old saying that I've heard them say before, Boy, you can take the people out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing to me in this story how quickly a, a crisis of food, as Israelites get a little hangry here, <laughs> a crisis of food so quickly turns into a crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. And you hear the charges that they level against Moses first, and then God. It's like, I don't know why you didn't just kill us back in Egypt, God. That would have been so much easier if you just taken us out in the desert to kill us. Why didn't you do it 45 days ago? We could have saved all this trouble being thirsty and hungry, and I don't know what you're doing with us. All right, how quickly they've forgotten who God is and what God has done for them. How quickly they've forgotten the God who led them out of slavery in Egypt to freedom and liberation. How quickly they've forgotten the God who made a way out of no way when the Red Sea was parted and they walked through on dry land. How quickly they've forgotten the God who brought down the waters of the sea on the chariots and the armies of Pharaoh, the greatest military empire on the face of the planet, so that a ragtag group of escaped slaves could make their way to freedom. How quickly they've forgotten 
the God who when they were thirsty and all they found was bitter and brackish and salty water that was unfit to drink, provided not just sweet water in one pool, but springs of living water in an oasis in the desert. How quickly they've forgotten who God is. Still trying to get the Egypt out of them. Thousands of years later, Jesus is still trying to do the same thing for us. When his disciples ask him, Jesus, how should we pray? And what does Jesus say? The things that have been on the lips of followers of Jesus throughout the corridors of history. Give us this day our daily bread. Not today's and a little more tomorrow in case I need a snack. Not today's and enough for next week in case another pandemic and apocalypse hit and there's not enough to go around. Not today's and enough to put some away in my pension and retirement account for a rainy day. But today's daily bread. Enough for today. And what we begin to learn when we depend on God bread instead of Pharaoh bread, when we begin to depend on daily bread, is that God's kingdom economy is one not of independence, but of interdependence. We learn that our our lives, our well-being, our wholeness is wrapped up and interconnected with each other. And so my well-being is wrapped up in your well-being, and our well-being is wrapped up in the well-being of our neighbors. We learn in God's kingdom economy that with daily bread, no matter how much extra I try to take, it just rots in my hand. And me being a little greedy on that day and trying to get more than my fair share doesn't negatively affect my neighbor not having enough food. We begin to learn what it is to depend not on Pharaoh, to depend not on ourselves, to depend not on the systems, but depend rather on God in whose kingdom economy there is always enough for all of us. Yeah, but the Israelites are not new. I mean, we're just like the Israelites. I I am first on that on that uh, up to bat for that, and that is that I'm a little bit self-centered. My world kind of revolves around me, and I often forget that interdependence thing. Uh, just the other day, I was reminded of that when I went shopping, and I looked up at that one place where I always snag my bag of ginger snaps favorite thing to eat in the evening. And there was no ginger snaps. There was a a place where it wasn't a label, but no ginger snaps. And and they weren't expecting any time soon. And I said, who in the world is hoarding the ginger snaps? And why can't I get my ginger snaps? And then it occurred to me just about as fast as I wanted to complain about it, that maybe that one plant that had to make those ginger snaps in this recent pandemic, had to lay off workers so that they could socially distance while working, which pulled back production of their normal products. And they had to pick and choose which products to provide. And perhaps they chose not to provide ginger snaps for my liking, but bread for someone else's table. And I began to realize how easily it is to slip back into this wilderness of sin is what it says. Exodus says that the people entered this wilderness of sin, this self-centered world. And they begin to long for their ginger snaps. 
So then I was, I was recalling that we have been in a Bible study and we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, a wonderful book filled with wisdom and, and uh, just kind of an odd little sayings. And, and as we were reading this week in the seventh chapter, verse 10, it says these words, which were so appropriate this week. It says, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. It helped us be, begin to think about why do we say, oh, for the good old days. Really, there may not be any good old days. I began to think that there are good things in what we remember about yesterday. And those things are good to share and to pass on in the history to our children and to honor them and even to remember the struggles that we had so that we learn from generations to generations, but what makes them not the good old days, but a days of oppression is when we cannot get out of them, then they hold us hostage. And that's what's happened to the Israelites. They're held hostage by what they remember rather than turning their face and looking into what God is doing today, which is also good. What God did good yesterday is still, God is still doing good things today. And so the, the text tells us that, that Aaron talks to them and then they turn their face into the wilderness. They look square into the face of what they do not understand. And they look for the goodness of God, the everlasting provisional goodness of God, even in the midst of what they're about that day. This crisis of faith, faith between our bondage of what we remember and our well-being is a wilderness. But there is a clear path in that wilderness. When we look into the wilderness and see the glory of God and we recognize that it is this good God who continues to rain down good things even in this time. The good things that have come out of this pandemic are people that have found Jesus that would not have because of our online presence. The good things that have come out of this pandemic are, are an ability to have dinner with my family every single night, to cook more wholesome meals, minus my ginger snaps. <laughs> and it is a journey that is worth traveling. It is a place where I can lean in and see God's good provision continue to be in my life. You know, I, I love the way the story comes to an end. Uh, at the end, they wake up the next morning and, and you know they see this frost on the ground and they've been told to go out and gather it and it's kind of fine and seedy, almost like coriander and it's it's white and flaky like snow and they someone's brave enough to be the first one to put it in their mouth and taste it and uh, and they say, oh. It's actually as like sweet as honey to the lips. And they say, <clears throat> what is it? Which, if you're speaking Hebrew, the way you say what is it is manha. Manha. Manna. What is it? What is this provision that appears in the midst of the wilderness and the desert when we don't think we can feed ourselves today? What is it? What is this gift from God that makes sure there's enough for everyone to be fed and there's always enough to go around? 
What is it, this God who refuses to abandon us even when we level the worst charges against him? What is it, this God who never leaves us or forsakes us, but is with us in our wilderness journey and our crises of faith, providing every day along the way? What is it? My prayer for us as individuals and as a community of faith and as the church scattered across this world is that we might have the courage to, with the Israelites, turn our face in towards the wilderness. To turn away from glorifying what used to be, to longing and wishing for what used to be, and instead look into the face of God. To confront the unknown. Because it is in the wilderness where the God who always provides and never forsakes us resides. May that God offer us this day and each day our daily bread. Amen. Amen.